here's what I've seen. People go into joint ventures, they get involved in, in deals, and then a year down the road, something goes wrong and their hands are tied and they come to me and they say, what can I do? And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do if you don't have control. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer, on a fix and flip house. Do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fun That Flip, you know Fun That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fun That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip, and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Farrellis. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. With us today, we've got an experienced real estate investor and attorney who represents real estate investors, Clint Coons. How you doing, Clint? I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks. Well, nice to have you on the show and a little bit about Clint, and then he'll get into it in more detail. Like I mentioned, he's an investor himself. He currently owns over $12 million worth of real estate. He is also an attorney based in Tacoma, Washington, and his expertise is in asset protection, which you know not only makes sure that investors are protected, but then also he looks at ways to help them get more deals done so that they're not overly protected and the lender looks at their structure and is like, well, I can't lend based on this structure. So kind of a unique angle and perspective since he is a real estate investor. You can say hi to him and learn more about his company at andersonadvisors.com. Just click the link in the show notes page. He owns property in six different states and has done commercial real estate, residential real estate, and a lot of other stuff. With that being said, Clinton, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, exactly. You know, people often ask, how did you get started in real estate being that you're an attorney? And I have a really interesting story is that uh, when I grew up, I refer to myself as a real estate investor from the age of two. And the reason that is, is because my father was an avid real estate investor. And I think he wanted two sons for indentured servants for 27 years. So <laughs> that was kind of my background. I uh, started off with just you know, going out and rehabbing properties as a child. And so that formed the basis of my interest in real estate. In fact, 
Before I decided to go to law school, I was dead set that I was going to be a contractor. During undergrad, I was always a framer. And then there was a slowdown in the construction in 92. And I found that up in Washington State, when it's pouring down rain and you're doing pickup work because you can't get another job and you're up on a roof fixing bird blocks or something, it's not fun. I said, you know what, I'm going to go into uh, practice of law and get my law degree and then I'll show real estate investors how to protect themselves. So that's how I got started. And I took it from there and started investing slowly uh, across the country as good deals come up. I put myself into them. And like you said, I've done a residential, commercial, did some flipping in Las Vegas when the mortgage mess hit. And there were a lot of opportunities in that market. And so I have quite a bit of experience. The $12 million of property you currently own, what's that consist of? Residential and commercial. And what are some of the big ones within that portfolio? A couple of commercial properties in Vegas and in Georgia. And when you say commercial, what specifically? Office building and a big warehouse facility. Wow. Interesting. Office building and a warehouse facility. So you're investing in a lot of different types of real estate. Let's talk about the office and the warehouse facility just to educate myself and perhaps some of the best ever listeners. What are the numbers on the office building? What is the size? Yeah. It's 35,000 square feet. And right now, most of that space actually leased to myself in that building down in Las Vegas. And then I have uh, another building up here in Tacoma, which again, I leased to myself for my other office. So my philosophy has always been, I can pay somebody else or I can pay myself. So I'd rather go out and buy the building and then lease it back to myself to run my business out of because I just can't see paying someone else for space. Interesting. Okay. And what about that warehouse in Georgia? Mm, That's an interesting story. So in that deal, the anticipation was it's the last large piece of property on this interstate down in Savannah. And I bought that with the anticipation that I would turn around and either develop it or I would flip it to say a Home Depot where somebody would come in because there's really nowhere else you can put in a spot like that, like a Home Depot or something in that area. Well, what I found out, and I, you know, this talk about due diligence and this is where experience (laughs) comes in. When I bought the property, I'm limited on what I can do with it as far as development is concerned. So you can't put in a bunch of different restaurants and commercial into this one area. Well, you could do the commercial, but you couldn't do the restaurants because right across the street, there's this little double wide trailer. And when I bought it, I didn't think anything of it, but it turns out that that is a church. Oh, yeah. The ordinance is down there. You cannot (laughs) serve alcohol within, I forget how many feet of a church. I mean, the congregation is probably 20 people. And so he went up to the pastor. I've, I've tried to convince him to move. <laughs> he won't do it. It's one of those where you basically want to build around them. You, you know, like the Donald Trump, they were talking about Trump Plaza not too long ago, how they supposedly they, they built that casino around a gal who refused to move or, or down here in Washington state, something similar happened, but there's no moving them. And so it's now it's kind of restricted what I can do with that property because of that. Well, a Home Depot doesn't serve alcohol though. No, it doesn't. But they've had interest in from Home Depot and FedEx on the property, but it hasn't really moved yet. So, you know, I have it leased out. I'm making really good money on my lease to a, a furniture company. So, you know, it's cash flowing. Did it have the warehouse already on it when you bought it? 
they did. Okay. What's the price point for that? Like, what are the numbers just high level? Meaning what's it worth? Yeah. Oh, right now I think it's, it comes in at about five and a half okay. million. And when did you buy it? Back in 2003 or two. I don't recall. One of those years. Okay. And what was the purchase price? 1.8 million. Wow. And it's worth about 5 million now. Yeah. And what would be the primary reason it's increased from 1.8 to 5 million in it's about? It's like that. Huh? It's the last piece of property down there like that. Plus I got it under market when we bought the property. We probably got it under market by about $800,000. It was a distressed sale. The person just needed to get the cash to get out of it. So it's basically doubled in value is what it has in the last 13 years. How did you hear about it since you're in Washington? Ah, so I have a good friend down there that's an attorney who's also a real estate investor. So he clued me into it. So that's the thing about building networks of people. I have a lot of clients all over the United States. And when they find a deal every once in a while, they'll say, Clint, you know, here's a deal. I can't take it. Do you want it? And it's presented to me. And if I have the cash at the time and I'm interested, you find great deals that way. Do you ever bring in investors or participate in investments where you're passive? You know, it runs contrary to the way I invest. So the answer to that is no. I'm a control freak. Thus the example <laughs> of the office building where you, instead of renting, you buy the building and then rent yeah. it to yourself. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about asset protection. What's the most common thing that you do as it relates to asset protection with your clients? Well, the most common thing that we do is uh, we create structures that provide them asset protection for their various real estate investments. We're also focused on the taxation of those structures. So we're not A, raising red flags with the IRS, but also at the same time, we want to ensure that we're not going to increase their taxes. I always refer to local professionals, individuals that people work with, assuming they're not working with the legal dooms out there. When they go and they talk to the attorney, they'll give them accurate information. And then they'll go and talk to the CPA and they'll give them accurate information as to how they should handle their structure from a, a tax standpoint. But where our firm comes in is that we tell them, we're going to give you relevant information. And the case in point is, is great. this individual came into my office not too long ago and he's a flipper here in Washington state. And before he came in, I said, let me see your tax return and I want to see an asset sheet. Just send me both of those documents, and then I'll give you a free consult. And when he sat down, I just looked at him. I said, your problem is you can't get money. I mean, you can get money, but it's hard money, private money, but you do not have access to traditional financing. And he was shocked. He goes, how can you figure that out just from looking at my tax return and my assets sheet? I said, well, you've got a personal residence here with $400,000 in equity in it. You've got a 1040 Schedule C that you're filing where you're listing all of your real estate income from flips. Lenders look at that. They don't like that because you're involved in real estate. You're a sole proprietor, so they're probably not going to loan. And if you could loan, you'd probably go and use that equity in your house so you can use money at 4% rather than 12%. Did I hit the mark? And he was just shocked. He looked at me and said, yeah. And I said, well, your local guy probably told you to create an LLC, and you probably went to a CPA, and he said an S-corporation. 
And, you know, his mouth just drops and he's just looking at me wondering, how do I know this information? It's because that's common. That's what the local guys are going to recommend. Limited liability company, CPA recommends S corporation, take money out. You can minimize your employment taxes. But he said both of those strategies of what they're recommending are going to keep you in the same situation you are right now. Because all that flows onto your personal tax return, lenders will continue to view you the same way you're currently viewed, if not worse. Because when you run a business... I mean, the idea is to expense everything out. So how does that appear to a lender when they ask you to see your business's tax return and it shows your business makes no money because you've been creative with your financing to reduce your taxes to the lowest extent as possible? It doesn't. You can't get loans. So I restructured them. I said, this is how it should be set up. And I know it's going to run contrary to what your local two guys have told you. But at the end of the day, the goal is to continue to do deals and have access to financing at a much lower rate. So what's the solution? C-Corporation. You know, the number one knock on C-Corporations that people are always going to tell you is, well, those are subject to double taxation. Granted, for those individuals who are not creative enough to figure out ways to pull money out of their C-Corp and they leave the profits in there and then pull them out as dividends, yes, they're subject to double taxation. But... I've never run into a problem with any of my clients and that double taxation issue because if you're buying and selling real estate, use the flipper example, the way you're going to qualify for traditional financing is to have a big fat W-2 because that's what they want to see. And so paying yourself out in salaries deduction, you just don't run into these issues. And many times, a lot of these problems in my experience in dealing with myself, my own investing or with my clients is that it's also brought on by the lenders that your broker who you're working with with loan, this client of mine down in Texas, she has a property in an LLC and we structured it with a loan from a related entity so she could do this cash out refi. And she went into the lender and the lender told her, we can put this loan together in the name of your LLC. And I said, it's not going to happen. And she said, no, I have assurances. And so it drug on, drug on. And then two weeks before closing, she gets a notice that they can't do the loan unless the property's in her own name. She needed the cash right away. And it's really throwing a monkey wrench into what she's trying to do because that lender that she's working with, the broker does not understand the lending guidelines that the underwriter operates under. And now she's out seeking somebody else to put the deal together. And I've been there sitting across at the table where they walk in at the last minute. I remember a U.S. bank, three guys showed up in suits a week before I needed to close on a commercial loan, and they said they wouldn't put it together. I'll one-up you. I just got off an interview with someone for the show who had the lender the morning of close, not 12 hours, not 24, but the morning of close, give them a call and say, hey, we've got a little bit of a problem and then the problem was that they're not going to be able to make the loan unless they bring in 500k more equity, agree to 100 basis point higher loan, <laughs> and oh, and extend the close for two more weeks. <laughs> and and while I'm laughing about it and you're chuckling, uh, that cost him and his business partners two hundred and fifty thousand dollars because it was on a retail place in Omaha. But then they, he parlayed it fortunately into a relationship with another deal, and he's doing all right. But Yeah, that's some scary stuff. And I got a visual of those three guys coming in with suits. So you do the C-Corp. That's the solution. So you give that recommendation to the client. And then how is your firm involved? What all do you all do? Well, see, we specialize in one area, and that is helping people create the structures and then preparing their taxes. So our firm, we have three offices 
between Washington State and Nevada, Las Vegas, and my office is in Tacoma. And so I have over 65 employees between these two offices, and it's comprised of the legal, the tax, and we also have financial planning as well built into the firm. And all that came about is because when I first started was asset protection, then I realized my clients were running into difficulty dealing with CPAs who don't understand the structures I create or they don't see the meaning behind it. They would cast doubt on the use of a C corporation if you're going to flip real estate because they don't understand what the end game is. They're only focused on taxation. And so I ended up building out a tax department to work with my clients that run into those problems with those types of CPAs. And so what we do is we create structures and then we support our clients going forwards in maintaining and running those structures. And do you do the bookkeeping along the way as well? Yeah, we do the bookkeeping on the tax side as well as the tax prep. I mean, I'll give you a little example of how this works out. One of the strategies we use is using a holding LLC. So it's just an LLC typically set up in Wyoming, which is an asset protection jurisdiction for anonymity and other reasons. And then that LLC is treated as a partnership for federal tax purposes. And then I go out and I create separate LLCs all owned by that one LLC. And by creating the structure that way is you depreciate your property. If you have greater depreciation than you're able to absorb and it becomes suspended, there might be a point in the future when you're looking to sell. Well, ordinarily when you sell property, you can only write off the suspended depreciation for that one property against your gain. You can't use up all of the other depreciation suspended on the other homes that you may own. But if you set it up in the way I described, before you get, you're get you ready to sell, you call us up and then we walk you through a strategy of dissolving out that holding LLC and it frees everything up for your tax return so you can get some massive write-offs on the sale of that one property. And many times people, when they're looking at it, they don't see all of these ancillary benefits that we're building in with that in mind. When you take a look at your interactions with clients, what would you say is the most surprising thing that they come across during a conversation with you or your team? Many times that it runs contrary to what they've been told somewhere else. And the reason why is they've just a lot of them receive bad information, especially, I don't do you have many people that you know of that invest with their self-directed IRAs? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that right then and there, I've, I've been on this bandwagon, if you want to say, for lack of a better word, for the last two years through my blog, talking about the problems with self-directed IRAs and that the IRS is just coming down on individuals that have created these because the industry itself has created a mess. Are you familiar with Equity Trust? Yep. Did you know they were suspended from opening any accounts last July? They I cannot open that. any new account. I know. Nobody would because they still advertise. I still receive advertisements from Equity Trust emails. Hey, we're going to be in your area. But they can't open any accounts. The SEC came in, stopped them because of their practices from opening any accounts. And I would venture to guess, based upon the briefing that I read about a month ago that was submitted in their hearing, I think the government is looking to close that entire organization down because of what's gone on with those self-directed IRAs, the way they've set them up, how many people have been burned, and the way they've been run. And that's hand-in-hand with the IRS, who's also looking at them. And I mean, they changed their 5498 form two years ago to target real estate investors. Clint, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Mm. Oh, gosh. 
I'm not sure. <laughs> control everything. That's what I would tell you. Control everything. And we talked about that a little bit more. Do you, you want to quickly elaborate on it at all? Here's what I've seen. People go into joint ventures, they get involved in, in deals, and then a year down the road, something goes wrong and their hands are tied and they come to me and they say, what can I do? And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do if you don't have control. I have a good friend who lives here next to me in Gig Harbor, and he entered into this development deal with an individual. They built a hotel down in Mexico. He put in a million bucks, but he didn't have control. And about four years later, his partner pushed him out. And then, of course, he wants to sue. And we're sitting at a friend's house one time drinking after dinner. And there's two other attorneys, friends of mine, that are there with me. And this guy comes up to us, Scott, who happened to be there, the guy I was talking about. And he said, hey, what do you think I should do? And the other two attorneys both told him to bring a lawsuit. And they're friends of mine. I understand that's the way those types of attorneys think. Go ahead and sue them. He looked at me and I said, walk away. All you're going to do is spend a ton of money on attorney's fees and you won't get a dime out of this deal. Fast forward to about three weeks ago, same group of guys. We were up snowmobiling at this guy's cabin. And I asked him, I said, how'd this turn out for you? And he said, I wish I would have followed your advice. He said, I spent over $275,000 on attorney's fees and I got nothing. And so I said, that's the difference. Don't go into deals if you don't have control because they can push you out and your recourse is oftentimes going to be limited. Ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com. Best ever book you've read? My own book, Asset Protection for Real Estate Investors. Oh, come on. What's the best ever <laughs> book you've read? Gosh, I'm not even sure I could come up with it that quick. What is the best book I've read? You know? All right, we're skipping it. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? I would say from my father growing up teaching me the work ethic that I have today. Best ever deal you've done? Hmm. Uh, flipping properties down in Vegas, bought it for 20K and turned around and sold it for 80. Huge return in one month. Best ever way you like to give back? By educating people, whether or not they become my clients or not. I just want them to know what they can and cannot do. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Um, buying a property that was flooded, thinking I could flip it. Best ever way the best ever listeners can reach you? Uh, go to the website at alglaw.com. Well, Clint, thank you so much for being on the show and talking about asset protection in a very practical way and forward-thinking way for real estate investors. Also sharing with us, you know, C-Corp is the solution and then talking through kind of how to avoid that double taxation penalty as well as getting into the numbers and specifics of your office building and the warehouse in Georgia. Lesson learned on that and uh, how you found the deal through the distress sale through a friend of yours, as well as kind of looking out for double wide trailers whenever we buy things <laughs> because they might be churches. So be careful with that. Thank you so much, Clint. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. 
Thanks, you too. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com.